Welcome to Closing Day. This podcast is for anyone looking to get into their very first home. The steps to buying a property are complicated. How much house can I afford? Where do I start? Should I just rent for the rest of my life? Hear from industry experts and get the answers. If you're looking to purchase your first home, you are in the right place. This podcast will help you get closer to closing day. Hey everyone, this is Cassie, producer of Closing Day, and I'm here with our host, Kyle Pucko. Hey Cassie, how goes it? Good. Well, I really thought Julie Lapham came to us with you know, 20 plus years of experience, just a wealth of knowledge. Uh, really the focus of today's episode for us was kind of that after you've high-fived and your offer is accepted, then what? How does your, how does your relationship with your lender continue? Uh, and one of the really confusing things for first-time homebuyers is that interest rate and how to lock that in and when that happens in the process. So that was a big takeaway for me was what the heck is a loan rate lock and how that works. We just had a great episode learning a lot about the four types of mortgage loans that are available for first-time homebuyers or homebuyers in general and the do's and don'ts of the lending process. We answer those questions and more uh, in today's episode. Check it out. All right, welcome everybody. We are here with Julie Lapham. She is a loan officer from Man Mortgage. Uh, we're thrilled to have her with us today. Just some of the recent accolades that Julie has uh, on her wall of fame. 2019, I'm sorry, 2017 and 2018, uh, Realtor Choice Lender of the Year. Uh, she comes to us with 20 years as a loan officer in, right here in Missoula, Montana. Um, thrilled to have you here. Julie, welcome. Thanks for having me. Yeah, Absolutely. Uh, so I guess to start, you know, one of the things I, I love to ask our guests is just how you came to be uh, in the real estate world, in the lending world. Um, what brought you into lending? I'd say about 20 years ago, I was in a advertising marketing role and just was looking for another next step in my career. And I had met uh, a gentleman that owned a mortgage brokerage at the time and interviewed and I thought it was a really good fit. Um, I had bought a house a year prior. And I didn't really actually know anything about lending. When I started, refinancing was starting to be a mainstream word. This was mm -hmm. quite a long time ago. And um, I just hit the ground running. And I, I was very fulfilled in helping people get into homes, whether it was a refinance or a purchase or first time or an investment property. It's really, it's just a really great opportunity to be part of the community and help people get into their homes or refinance or whatnot. Yeah, absolutely. Um we, we talked just briefly before recording here that, you know, you at one time were a first-time homebuyer. I was. And your experience there was maybe less than satisfactory? <laughs> it was. I, I didn't understand what I was doing. I'm not an easily intimidated person. And I remember going into my closing and I did not understand anything I was signing. Lending was a lot different back uh, when that transpired almost 20 yeah. years ago, a little over 20 years ago. And... Um, these days with compliance, um, things are structured a little differently, which is helpful mm -hmm. to a buyer. Uh, but at that time, I just, uh, I didn't know what questions to ask. I didn't mm -hmm. know what I was doing. I didn't know there were other mortgages available other than the program that I had. Um, and so I vowed that when I went into the business, I would really take the time and the opportunity to explain to clients what their options are. It's not my job to tell them which program to use. It's my job to tell them all their options and they can make the de best decision for themselves. Very cool. It seems like you really enjoy working with folks that 
come to you without a lot of experience and say, I have a lot of questions. I'm a first time home buyer. I'm just looking for some help. Yeah. And it's, it's just, it's a really great opportunity. Buying a house is such a big emotional, but financial investment. And, um, I always say the hardest thing about buying a house should be picking your paint colors, in my opinion, because I find that very <laughs> difficult. But it's um, it's such a big deal in your life. It's where you raise your children, your animals, your family, um, and and it it the financing aspect should not be difficult, in my opinion. Yeah, you mentioned compliance uh, and how that's changed. So, you know, when you first got into a home. How has that? How is it different from then to now? That there's just more. It's there's more clarity for buyers. Would you say? Yeah, there's more of a disclosure process. Um, over the years, we have certain amount of days to disclose certain documents. Um, closing costs um, back in the day they could change. Mm-hmm. Um, I it's not how I ran my business, but I do recall having clients where um, the previous lender they worked with, they would get to closing. I'm sure you might've heard stories like this and their closing costs were higher or things yeah. like that would happen. And the borrower always has a right to walk away from the closing table. But when you get to that point, are you really going to do that? And so it's, right. it's really, it's not how I ran my business. I, I don't like surprises. I, you know, it's not, it, it, it doesn't work well and it's not a way to run any business, but it happened. And so these days there's really a lot of compliance steps in place. So that can't happen. And we disclose one of the big uh, transitions we had a couple years ago is a closing disclosure. It has to go out three days prior to closing, even on a refinance. Um, those are your final fees. So you have a few days to actually look at it, think about it. If there's something wrong or you don't understand, it's a really good opportunity. And so that's something that really did good came out of the compliance reform. Very cool. Yeah. It's buyer friendly, it sounds like. It is buyer friendly. Yeah. And it's still, it, it still is complicated if you only buy a house or refinance a house once or twice in your lifetime. But that's where it's very important you have a lender that you can understand what they're saying. Mm-hmm. I get clients all the time that we're working with somebody else and they're like, okay, I've talked to you for a half hour. I totally get what you're saying. I've met with them three times and I don't understand what they're saying. So it's important whoever you pick as a lender, you understand. Yeah. And they're speaking to you in a, in a, in a way that you, you can comprehend. Sure. Let's talk about that lender selection process and what that looks like. You know, somebody might be banking with Wells Fargo, and I think a misconception is that's where they need to go to get their home loan. Um, you're coming to us from Man Mortgage. Can you talk to us about the difference between a bank and maybe a, a mortgage company like you're working for? And what folks should just be aware of when they're deciding, okay, I want to meet with three potential lenders, a bank, a broker, and other duties as assigned. I don't know if there's another option there, but can you help educate our listeners on what those options are? You bet. So there are different types of lending um, platforms out there. Uh, a bank is can consist of a company that offers checking and savings, commercial loans, auto loans, things like that. Um, I, I consider our, myself a bank. We lend in our own name. We use our own money. Um, I don't offer checking and savings. We only do residential lending. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there are brokers. And what a broker does is they um, they don't might not have their own underwriters. They might be selling each and every loan at that time to, uh, for example, Wells Fargo or Chase Bank. And, and they see. will have those companies underwrite the loans. And those companies will service the mortgage. Now, for my company, we have our own dedicated underwriters and processors, and we do everything in-house, whereas a bank might do that similar. Got it. So that's really the difference on on kind of how those structure. Yeah. The mortgage is an interesting – it's just an interesting thing because um, 
I think a lot of people probably at closing day, they don't understand what happens after closing day to their mortgage. So you're explaining that your team has the ability and, and most banks have the ability, their own underwriters to, can you explain what that means? Why that's a benefit for folks to have underwriters in-house? Well, it's a benefit because um, our underwriters are specific to the areas that we're doing a mortgage. For example, my company is based out of 20 different states and I'm licensed in Idaho, Washington, and Montana. And my underwriters are very familiar with um, those states, um, the appraisers, um, the area, um, and so that's why it's beneficial. I have personal relationships. If I have a problem or with a file or a question, I can call my underwriter. It's the same person every time. And sure. I can get a response quickly. Now, a broker, um, it, it might be a little different. They might have those relationships also. It's just a little, it just works a little different. Is there an advantage or a disadvantage? I, I, I I don't. I personally don't think there's there's a problem if you're working with a broker, as long as you're getting good customer service and you understand the structure and how it works. I think that's fine. Mm-hmm. Um, we're you know something that people talk about a lot is transfer of servicing. People ask me that all the time. Are you going to sell the servicing of my mortgage? Mm-hmm. Every bank, every company has the right to sell the servicing of your loan. If you go to your bank and they close or they sell their company to another bank, your servicing is being transferred right? If I do a loan and it's going to be backed by Montana Board of Housing, your loan will be transferred to Montana Board of Housing. doesn't change anything just where your payment goes. And like I always tell my clients, if that ever were to happen, you still have me and I'm always your point of contact. Sure. Does that help? Yep, definitely. I think let's dive a little bit into the underwriting process, but maybe I'll sort of back up. So let's pretend that I've just made an offer on a home. Uh, My offer was accepted. I'm high-fiving. And I've chosen a lender. I've, of course, been pre-approved. And now I've my offer has been accepted. Now what? Do I meet with my lender again? Um, do I contact them and say, hey, just FYI, we're, we're moving forward with this? Where does the lender fit into that sort of post-high five moment? <laughs> okay. So once you're pre-approved, and I will get a copy of your contract. If you're working with a realtor, I stand close contact with your realtor because we're your team and we're going to do everything we can to make it a seamless and smooth transaction to get you to closing. Once your offer is accepted, you're going to set up usually an inspection. For most mortgages, inspections aren't required, but we always advise that you get one. You want to look under the hood of that house to make sure, sure that there are no underlying problems you're not, you don't see. Um, and then once your inspection is completed, if we need an appraisal on your transaction, on some purchases we don't, um, but then I order your appraisal. And then once your inspection is satisfactory, the appraiser goes to the home, we get your appraisal done. And during that process, there's a lot of things going on. Mm-hmm. But once I pre-approve someone, um, since I've been in the business a long time, I know if we're going to be fine in underwriting. But underwriting is just another aspect to confirm everything that I've already reviewed. Okay. And my underwriter will tell me if I need to satisfy some other conditions. Maybe you uh, had a foreclosure years ago, or maybe we might need some more documentation. Maybe you're divorced and I need to confirm something on your divorce decree. Right. But we'll just make sure that we have everything that we need, and then we will get our final clear to close and get you to closing. So during the pre-approval process, you meet with me and I may not have anything that I bring to you. I might just say, this is how much I make per year. And I'm, you check my credit score and I'm pre-approved for X amount. So the pre-approval process is I always ask for all your income and asset documents. So I will ask so for W-2s, okay. 
pay stubs. I usually get what's called a verification of employment just to confirm your, you, you know, maybe your paid bonus and salary. We always get a verification of employment to make sure the income we're using is accurate. Okay. Um, and then we get all these, all your documents together, and that's how I pre-prove you in the first place. So by the time we get into underwriting, I've already reviewed all those documents, and I send everything into my underwriter. So that makes the underwriting process a bit easier. Yes. And Are there lenders that would do it the opposite, that they quickly pre-approve you, and then the underwriting process is arduous, painful, well, they have to get all of this documentation from you. They really shouldn't be, but I do know that there are some lenders out there that do work that way, which is not advisable because I had a client come to me a couple of months ago who had a pre-approval letter from an online company. And once I reviewed the file, because his realtor suggested that he come and talk to me because I might have some other programs available, and come to find out since the online company hadn't really reviewed any of his documents, he actually wasn't pre-approved for any type of mortgage. He had recently gone to be self-employed. Oh, wow. And this online company didn't even think to ask that and didn't review his documents. So he had actually been under contract twice and paid for two inspections, which cost him oh. $1,000. And he needs to wait a year to buy a house. So that's, that's yeah, why that's it's fair. really important that when you get that, typically you will not get a pre-approval letter until someone has reviewed all those documents. And that's really how you want it because... When someone comes to me and I send a letter out, they know unless something huge happens, like they lose their job or a big life event, big life event, they know that they're good to go to purchase that house. I'm not going to yeah. let any of my clients get under contract unless they know they're good to go. That's great. Let's talk interest rate. Sure. At what point in that process? So I've high fived. Now I've you have all of my documentation. We're we're ready to rock. The underwriter is doing their thing, um, making sure that all the T's are crossed and I's are dotted. Um, at what point does that interest rate get locked in? Is that before I make an offer on a home? Is that after? How Can you walk us through, you know, I want the lowest interest rate as possible, working with the best lender as possible. How can you help me do that? So once you go under contract is when we could talk about locking in your interest rate. Our locks at Man Mortgage are uh, specific to the property. So once I get that buy sell, we can lock you in. Now your close might be 30 days. It might be, you know, maybe it's new construction and it's not for six months. Mm -hmm. Every lock period, it's good. It has an expiration date. So okay. um, the furthest out we can lock at my company is 90 days, but the shorter term the lock, the better the interest rate. So until we lock in your interest rate, your rate is changing because rates change daily. Sometimes they change more than once a day. So they can change multiple times a day potentially and Right. Yep. And I've seen yeah. that. You wow. know, it, it does. It does happen. It's not common, but it can happen. Are we talking multiple point swings or small percentage? Points? No, very small. Yeah. Because what's actually changing every day is not so much the interest rate; it's the price of the interest rate. Okay. okay. So if someone came to me today and let's say the interest rate was four and a half percent, and they said, "Well, I really want four percent," right? How do I get four percent? That's when we get into buying points. And okay. what points is is just their additional fees to buy down an interest rate. So what's changing every day is not so much um, today's rate's four and a half, but tomorrow it might be four and three eighths. Mm -hmm. What's changing there is just the price of the interest rate. Does that make sense? Okay, it does. Yeah, and it's the buyer's role with the lender support to figure out what makes sense for you. Right. Should you buy points? Should you not buy points? Right. And is that dependent on how long you plan on living in the home? Right, exactly. So um, if I have a client who really only plans the first time home, um, it's a smaller home. They know in five years 
they're going to move out. We just do a break-even analysis and figure out what makes sense. And again, it's not my job to tell them like, this is what you got to do. Sure. I just give all the information and we can work through that to see what their goals are and what's going to work best for them. Cool. Yeah. These days, I don't typically see people buying down interest rates because even though, yes, they are higher than they were a couple of years ago, usually it doesn't make a lot of sense to buy down an interest rate. But again, it depends on the goals of the client. Sure. Longer term, you'd say it makes a little more sense to buy down interest rates? Or maybe we have a really large seller credit and our seller credit exceeds our closing costs and our prepaids. What are we going to do with that extra money? Well, we're not going to leave it on the table. We're going to buy down the interest rate. Sure. So it just really depends on the circumstances. Yeah. I I think that's great. That that also is where you can sometimes get really confused is buying down points and you start having those conversations too early in the process and you think, oh, wait, what is my interest rate? What is right. that going to look like? Right. I have a client right now who is um, pre-approved and we're moving forward and they saw some teaser ad online that boasted this really great interest rate. But what they didn't understand is there's a cost associated with that. And also not only that, but then they called and that wasn't really the interest rate. That was just like a teaser rate. You know, it's not a rate that they can oh, actually wow. get. Just so there is, unfortunately, a lot out there. But again, I always advise people, um, find a lender who is quick to respond. You deserve really good customer service. This is a big deal. Mm-hmm. And um, explain things in a manner that you can understand. Um, and if you find out that lender is $100 higher or a little bit higher, there is a value you have to put into that understanding and being educated. Absolutely. Yeah, I sometimes compare it to responsible shoppers that will go across the street to save 50 cents on a six-pack of Coca-Cola. Right. And those same responsible shoppers just feel like they're lost when it comes to closing costs and points on interest rates. And it could potentially be thousands of dollars uh, that that you're just kind of signing on that closing day, like you right. mentioned with your first, very first home buying experience. Uh, what tips do you have for that responsible consumer who's looking to get into their first home but wants to try to save some money on those closing costs? Well, my suggestion is always if you are if, if someone you know has worked with a lender and had a really good experience or your realtor is referring you to someone and, and you have that, stamp of approval, meet with that person or call that person. If you don't want to meet in person, maybe call another, you know, you'll, once you start talking to people, people will refer people to you and use those, ask your lender, do you have, do you have surveys done? Do you have some responses? Do you have a client I can call to see how their experience was? Um, because I think that that that's really going to help you make your decision on who you want to work with. Mm-hmm. You can certainly get an initial quote. How does your fee structure look? For example, at Man Mortgage, we charge in my office a flat origination fee and um, an appraisal fee. And we don't charge junk fees and we don't charge a percentage origination fee like most places do. Mm -hmm. So if you're buying a house and you have a $400,000 loan amount, I'm going to charge you $1,195 origination fee, whereas somewhere else might charge you 1%, which is $4,000. So you just need to be comfortable with who you're working with and know that they're going to take good care of you. And if you are paying a little more or a little less, you need to put some value into that. Does that Mm -hmm. help? It does. Can you quickly explain origination fee? Yeah. So origination fee is um, how your bank or lender is being compensated, right? That's how I'm paid is through my origination fee. Okay. And um, every place is going to charge a little different. Like I said, most banks and brokers will charge a percentage. That's just not how we structure my company, but that that's what you'll see. So sure. it's important when you get your estimate, um, you 
have your lender explain to you how those fees work and how that works. Great. Sometimes when I'm driving around Missoula here, I'll look at the banks and I'll say, wow, those are some big, beautiful buildings. They have a lot of money to build these big, beautiful buildings. And it's funny because up until you buy your first home or maybe you get your first car payment or you know, student loan, you know banks as free checking accounts. And you think this is an amazing service. Uh, and the service is still amazing. But talking about how these banks make money, we talk about interest rates, origination fees. And can you talk quickly about amortization tables and what folks should know about, hey, when you get into a mortgage and we've loaned you $200,000 to get into this home, um, this might be, you know, this might be a, an entirely different episode, but I think it's just interesting that uh, kind of the breakdown of equity versus interest that you're paying to a bank those first few years. So when you start paying on a mortgage, a bulk of what you're paying does go towards interest. And that starts tipping as you move further on in your loan. My best suggestions for anyone buying a house, which by the way, I did not know this when I first bought my first, and I wish I did, is that even if you pay at least one extra payment a year, you are literally knocking off years off the life of that loan and saves you thousands of dollars in interest. Oh, wow. So if your mortgage payment, for example, is $1,200 a month and you pay $1,300 a month, you essentially are going to make one extra payment a year. Mm -hmm. And when you look at an amortization schedule, it's amazing how much money you save. Wow. So I really wish I would have known that. I didn't figure that out for a little over a year until I became a loan officer. But um, but that that's really important. Um, it's interesting these days that uh, people use their homes as equity and an asset, whereas from 20 years ago when I started being a lender, it was very different. Everybody wanted to pay off their mortgage. Like that's, that was the dream, right? You didn't have a mortgage. These days, writing out the interest on your house is one of the only tax breaks other than having a child that you're going right. to get. I'm not a tax accountant, cannot give tax advice, sure. and I wouldn't try. But um, these days, using that your home and the interest you're paying on it is a really good tax break. And and I have clients all over the country that call me to continuously refinance their investment properties or whatnot because their accountant says, you've got to have a mortgage on that property. So it's, it's interesting. That is really interesting. Yeah, but it does. If you can pay a little extra on your mortgage, it's amazing how much money you save over time. You know, on, none of, on all our loans, there are no prepayment penalties. So you could take a 30-year fix and pay it off in 10 years if you wanted. And so, yeah. you know, no one really thinks about that when you buy a house. But I tell my clients, if you can, even if it's $50 a month, just pay a little extra every month. And it's amazing how that shortens the life of the loan. There seems to be a lot of info out there on paying down your mortgage sooner and uh, what different financial gurus have advice, uh, both pro and con, right. to do that. So Recently, when one of my financial advisors had told me that not to do that and actually to mm. take that extra money and set it into a different interest-bearing account. Mm -hmm. because you actually will make more money faster that way. So there's lots of different ways you can look at it, but it's an interesting... Yeah, something to definitely talk with right. a financial planner, perhaps, yep. and be like, what, what makes sense for me? And Yeah, really interesting stuff. Um, let's talk gifting. As a lender, this is something we haven't talked about. Um, you know, coming up with a down payment can be... Or sorry, as a buyer, coming up with a down payment can be really complicated. Do you meet folks that seek family gifting and for their down payment, how does that work? Can you walk 
people through is are there pros and cons to do that what does that look like from the lender side so um it depends on which loan program we're using if we're using a government loan like an fha or rd or in a va um, the gifting process is a little different we need a little more documentation but um, on a conventional loan we just need a copy of the gift check and we always have a gift letter signed um it's something that we keep in our file we don't report those things to the irs it's just something that we have in our file Um, for a government loan it's a little more um, detailed in that we have to prove the money came from the relative that gifted the money but that's acceptable the only properties you can't do that on our investment properties you cannot have someone gift you money on an investment property okay you just can't but it's amazing over, like I said, the 20 years I've been in this business, I feel like these days there are so many more opportunities for down payment assistance than there were years ago. Um, you know, we have MoFi Home Now, we have Montana Board of Housing. There's a lot of programs out there for clients. And the great thing is, is that Missoula is a targeted area, which means we're, we're trying to have people purchase house here. It doesn't yeah. matter if you're a first-time homebuyer or not. Oh, wow. You can still utilize a lot of the programs that we have. Which is really interesting. Yeah, that is. So down payment assistance programs for folks not in Missoula, they can find information on this by maybe just searching locally for down payment assistance you know, programs. Or ask, your lender should know about all these programs. But yeah. make sure when you are selecting a lender, they do offer multiple programs. Um, some places like brokers you mentioned earlier, they might not be able to utilize programs like that. Okay. So make sure whomever you're talking with, ask about all the down payment of pro- programs that are available in the area. Perfect. Julie, I just want to ask you about the different loan types available for folks uh, right here in Montana and nationwide that maybe they can that, that they can have access to. So there's four types of loan programs that we use. Um, and one is VA for veterans, which is an amazing program. It's a zero down program, and there's no mortgage insurance. Um, there's rural development. The house needs to be in an RD eligible area. It's usually outside city limits. Um, there's conventional, and there's also FHA and these different programs um, just really depends on your criteria, what your credit score is, what your ratios look like, and what program we fit you into just depends on those things. Sometimes I have clients that fit into many programs. They might be a conventional buyer, but the house is an RD. RD is a zero down program, so we might take a look at that also. So some people have many options, some people have less. With those four programs, there are other programs we use with them, Montana Board of Housing, Home Now, for example, and so we use those in conjunction, but those are your four cornerstones. So once you figure out what your credit score is and what your ratios are, we just kind of back in to see what program is going to be available to you. Perfect. Thanks. That's super informative. I think walking through, understanding that there's four options and you can, you know, there's, of course, other platforms you can place on top of those, but these are the main four. That's really helpful. Uh, so let's jump into a segment that we call closing time. Yeah, so our first question of closing time, what are the big myths associated with buying a home? So you don't need 20% down to buy a house. In fact, I have a lot of clients that have 20% down, but opt to not put 20% down because they want to use some of that money to pay off debt to put them in a better financial situation. And that's where it's key. You have a really good lender that understands your goals to explain to you all these options. <clears throat> On a conventional mortgage, um, your minimum down is a 3% if you're under a certain income limit. Um, if you're over an income limit, your minimum down is going to be 5%. Now, on a conventional loan, most people want to put 20% down because you have what's called mortgage insurance, and it's called MI, and it doesn't really help you. It helps the lender in the event that you default. 
right? If we mm-hmm. foreclose, we're able to recoup. But um, but mortgage insurance these days is interesting because if your credit score is good, you can actually buy out mortgage insurance and not have it on your mortgage at all. Mortgage insurance is just an added uh, payment mm. to your mortgage payment. So I have a client right now, for example, who has like a 700 credit score and for $4,000, she's buying out the mortgage insurance. So she's saving herself $180 a month in her oh, payment wow. because she's able to buy out the mortgage insurance. So that's something really great that I've seen a lot of changes over the last few years, but mortgage insurance buyout is definitely something you, if you're doing a conventional loan, you want to want to look into. FHA cool. requires three and a half percent down on a minimum. You could put more down, um, but FHA also has mortgage insurance and you actually will never get rid of it hmm. unless you put 10% down and then it'll go away eventually. Um, VA doesn't have mortgage insurance, but VA is another zero down program. It's a great opportunity. Mm -hmm. And then rural development is also a zero down program and it does have mortgage insurance. You'll never, never get rid of, but it is less. So 20% is great, but not necessary. Not required. Not required. Yeah. But it just depends on your ratios and whatnot. And when I say ratios, um, when I pre-approve someone, I'm looking at credit score. Um, FHA can go down as low as 580 VA. I actually even have outlets to even go lower than that. Um, but the higher the credit score you have, the better situation you'll, you'll be. I have clients that come to me and um, I have a program called a Rescore program, a credit expert, where I'm able to do a what-if scenario. So let's say their credit score was at 699. And to get to 700 really helps them, especially with that mortgage insurance on a conventional loan. I could do a Rescore to tell them what they need to do to get to a 700. I might have a client come to me and their credit score is below, really low, under 580. We have um, tools that we can help them build to get into a better place so they can buy the house that they want. Very cool. So, What percentage of the lending process is based on credit score, would you estimate? Is it 50% of your likelihood of receiving a loan is based on a high credit score? It it. It's a, it's a big factor. It's a big factor. It's a big factor because if someone comes to me and they have a 460 credit score, we're kind of stuck. Not much you can do. Not much we do. But again, we can give them the tools that they need to build to get to there. Because any client that comes to me, if now is not the right time for whatever reason, that doesn't mean that a year from now they can't be in a completely different situation. Yep. So, but we talk about ratios and I've said that term a few times. And what ratios are is you have a housing and a debt ratio. It's called a front end and a back end ratio. Housing is your new mortgage payment divided by your gross income and debt ratio is housing, new mortgage payment plus debt, monthly debt divided by gross income. Okay. And so different loan programs have different criterias, um, but most loan programs like FHA and conventional, we can go to a 50% debt ratio. So what that means is 50% of your gross income can be going out the door and in mortgage payment and monthly debt. Another big um, hot topic people don't understand sometimes are student loans. If you have a deferred student loan and you are not making payments on it because you're not required to, that doesn't mean that we can't we don't use that in calculating your ratios. We have to because eventually you are making that going to make that payment. Right. And we want to make sure that our clients are put in the right position where they do have to start making that payment. They can still make their mortgage payments. Right. You're setting them up for success. Yep. So depending on which loan program we're using, there are different ways we calculate that. Great. So that's something that's always people with student loans is I get is like, I don't pay that much money every month. And I was like, you've got sixty grand in deferred student loans. Right. 
It's on its way. It's, it's on its way. To... So that's $600. If we use a 1% factor, that's $600 a month. Yeah. And you're going to have to make that. So like, how am I going to give you a $2,000 mortgage payment? And that's pushing your capacity and you're going to be at $2,600. Yeah. Right? Yep. If you had one piece of advice for someone considering uh, making the jump from renting to owning, what would it be? I would say find a lender and get pre-approved. Take a look under the hood and look at your credit and your ratios. Think about how much a month you can really afford on a mortgage payment. Um, a lot of clients that come to me, every now and again, I'll get one that says, I want my mortgage payment to be $800 and I don't have down payment. Well, unfortunately, where we live in Missoula, that's not going to happen. You know, housing prices and property taxes are just, that's just not realistic. Mm -hmm. So really think about how much you can afford a month and then pick your lender, make sure you're working with someone that communicates who's fast to reply and you feel comfortable with and look at all your options. Because like I said, sometimes you might not be ready now, but you might be in six months. Sure. Maybe you might need to take, to get into a Montana Board of Housing product, you might have to take a first time home buyer class and we can get you set up to do that. Yep. Um, do not um, assume debt during our process. Um, on every now and again, I'll get a client who will buy a car or appliances, and we always do a credit refresh in my office. Um, most lenders do some type of checking to make sure your balances are similar from when you applied. Yep. I will find out about it. So make sure that you keep everything clean. You keep your job. You keep your hours the same. We don't want anything to change. Stay predictable. Stay predictable. And I tell people that my office... It's the people that laugh that are usually fine. It's the people that look at me like, oh, I didn't think about that. It's very, very important. Yeah. Yep. That's one of the big, big don'ts is don't assume more debt as right. during this process. Yep. And if something happens, I mean, things happen. Uh, maybe your job was eliminated. Maybe your car broke down and you needed to go get it. You know, things happen. Mm -hmm. Have that conversation with your lender. So because we don't, just like you don't like surprises, we don't like surprises either. Right. <laughs> Um, any books that you'd recommend for our listeners? Financial literacy or home buying? If not, that's okay. I, you know, not that come to my mind. <clears throat> There's so much good information out there. And I, again, I just talk to a seasoned expert, um, talk to a lender that really, like I said, explains things to you so you can understand. Because it's amazing. I'll have clients that don't ask any questions and they get the information anyway. And I have clients that want to know every aspect, but just no question. Even if you ask the same question five times until you understand it, ask. Because yeah. it's a big, big deal. And this is your mortgage. I'm not making this mortgage payment. You are. So yeah. you need to make sure that you understand. Okay. Are there any good resources for people to find out about you, Julie? How do people get in touch with you? Uh, you can go to my website, julielapham.mammortgage.com, um, or you can find me at the Man Mortgage office here on Bancroft in Sussex. Cool. We'll put that info in the show notes. And Julie, thank you so much for joining us today. This was a wealth of knowledge on the lending process, and uh, hope you enjoyed it. Thank you for having me. It was great. <laughs>